As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. You are listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath, brought to you by Premier. I'm Ruth Jackson, and over this second series, Alistair and I will be looking at some of the key themes and ideas in Lewis's seminal book, Mere Christianity. You can find out more about this series, as well as C.S. Lewis and Professor Alistair McGrath, by heading to cslewispodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. On today's episode, we will be looking at what Lewis says about Christian behaviour in mere Christianity. Welcome back to the C.S. Lewis podcast with Alistair McGrath and we are going to be talking about what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity about Christian behaviour, looking particularly at book three which is all about Christian behaviour. So Alistair if we've not read Mere Christianity or we read it a long time ago would you just give us a bit of a brief summary of what Lewis says about Christian behaviour? I mean it's a long long chapter but what are some of the key things that he says? I think think that there are two main points Points to take out. One is Lewis's distinction between moral behaviour and being a moral person. And secondly, a theme we began to talk about in the last uh, discussion where we talked about Christ as a moral example. So let's just begin by looking at this really important point about the difference between moral behaviour and being a moral person. And one of the points that Lewis is really trying to bring out here is that um, we very often get these two ideas muddled. Um, you know, moral behavior very often is about do this, but it's simply about an action we are asked to do. It's not about being transformed as a person. And very often it creates the idea we simply do this blindly without understanding what we're doing. Uh, and of course, one of the points that Lewis is trying to make is actually you act morally because you are a moral person, that the transformation of the person is prior to acting morally, that if you like, once you are transformed by having Christ living within you, then you'll begin to act like Christ. But you cannot do this simply by saying it's the important thing to learn what it is to behave as a Christian and do this. That's about rules. Lewis is saying, no, Christianity is about this transformation. And then Christian behavior is, if you like, the living out of this personal transformation, having this, to use Lewis's phrase, Christ life within us, which means that we live 
four different reasons, and we live in different ways than we did beforehand. And he uses the example of a tennis player, doesn't he, to articulate that point? He does. I mean, Lewis, Lewis uses lots of analogies. I mean, for me, one of the most interesting analogy is the uh, image of the, the the sort of tin soldiers, the toy soldiers. That actually, um, these are not um, inanimate um, objects. It is about somehow we are brought to life and shown how to believe. And again, like anything, we we we. We become better by doing it. You know, in fact, practice is very important. But actually, there's something else that lies behind this. And Lewis, of course, here picks up on the New Testament imagery of training, for example. Think of the athlete or the soldier. So Lewis is saying that actually we need to um, be like a tennis player, do, do practice to actually um, get this right. But the key thing is the motivation that actually leads to this. And I suppose someone who just happens to do a good shot isn't necessarily a good tennis player. They just have happened to do a good shot there. So it's it's more about the transformation of the whole person rather than those specific Exactly. And, and mere Christianity is full of these examples of people doing various things. But the key point is transformation leads to action. And actually, we can improve those actions by practice, sure. But the fundamental thing is this transformation that comes first. And again, Lewis is saying that if Christ were not our saviour, this couldn't happen. I suppose I should have said at the beginning, uh, we don't have time to go into all of the details that Lewis goes into about the specifics of Christian behaviour. So sexuality, Christian marriage, things like that. So we're going to be speaking more in a kind of general sense of Christian behaviour. But why does C.S. Lewis think that moral failure is so dangerous? Well, Lewis is worried about moral failure for a number of reasons. Uh, One is... um, that it in effect um, discourages us, that we feel, you know, we, we, there's a point that we just can't go on. And again, if, if we just switch across the Chronicles of Narnia, you see that theme there. You know, people, failure very often is, is a real problem for people. But I think it, one of the key themes that comes out for me in the discussion of Christian behavior is that um, we are focusing on the behavior rather than the person. And Lewis is trying to get across the point that actually we are transformed, we are going to fail, get used to it. But nevertheless, uh, we are growing in our faith, we're becoming better people, we are like the tennis players practicing and becoming better at it. And that, in effect, is something that's integral to the whole process of becoming a Christian. There's a sense as well, isn't there, that actually this has eternal consequences. This isn't something that just affects this life. Well, Lewis is very clear there's a link between this world and the next world. And uh, this is very important, for example, in his discussion of Christian hope. But he's also, I think, um, making a point which I think is well worth reflecting about, which is he's not saying the way you behave proves you're a Christian. But he is saying it's indicative. See what I'm saying? Get, trying to get at. He's saying that um, the way you behave really does matter. And, it, and you, you need to show in the way in which you behave that you are a different kind of person. I think that's a very important point. Now, you, you rightly made the point. We haven't got time to look at all of Lewis's moral <laughs> teachings. There are quite a lot of those. Uh, and, and a problem, of course, is that some of those moral ideas are very much linked in with a particular period in British history. And we don't need to, to really go into the details there. But one of the things I would say is that Lewis is, is trying to help us navigate 
this very difficult boundary between being a good citizen, those are behaving this way, and at the same time going beyond that in terms of Christian behaviour. I think that's uh, that's a, a very important point. Um, Lewis, Lewis really um, is trying to help us see that actually the way we behave does make a difference. He's also trying to help us realize that actually um, our own nature does remain sinful. And of course, that is why prayer is such an important part of Lewis's account of Christian behavior, because in effect, it's during prayer we become conscious of our own sins and gradually realize that one of the ways in which we become moral is actually by worshiping God. And that's a link that Lewis makes. And I wonder if it's one that we need to um, pay more attention to, because I think um, for me, one of the important things about Christian worship is that it is saying that in engaging Christ and engaging God, I'm coming across something which is far more majestic and glorious than anything I know. And if you like, it inspires me, you know, it motivates me to want to become a better person. It gives, you like, it gives me a vision of who God is and the difference that this makes. And so Lewis Hank is actually touching on something very important here. That actually, I think there's a link between worship and being a moral person because worship inspires us to encounter God and become deeper in our faith as a result of that. We're going to talk a little bit more about worship and prayer when we come to the topic of the Trinity in a future episode. But there would have been people in Lewis's day and certainly today who would say that if I do an action that doesn't impact anyone else, that actually that's morally acceptable. How would Lewis counter that? Well, Lewis is quite clear that um, while he wants to insist on the importance of being a moral person, not just encourage moral behavior, that actually um, morality is not simply asking, you know, am I hurting anybody? It's not, it's not avoiding a negative. It actually is embodying a positive. I think that's a very important point for Lewis. And I think one of the points to bring out here is that for Lewis, morality is actually an act of witness. Um, uh, At one point, Lewis talks about Christians as little Christs. Um, And and that's quite a helpful way of, of thinking about it, because in effect, one of the points that Lewis is making is that in our Christian behavior, we're actually disclosing the difference that Christianity makes to people. And therefore, if you say, well, of course, I'm not a good person, but I'm not actually hurting anybody, people say, well, so what? I mean, that's that's not exactly an inspiring vision. I think what Lewis is trying to say to us (laughs) is that maybe it's by leading a moral life and showing that actually this can be done, that people are led to ask questions like, what is the source of this moral life? What enables you to keep going in this moral life? And so if you like, it's an act of witness, not simply an act of discipleship. One of the things that C.S. Lewis talks about is forgiveness. So how does he think that we can forgive someone who has in many ways done something completely inexcusable? And Lewis uses a few examples of uh, the Nazis and things like that very much in his context. But it's still a question that's relevant today about how we excuse the inexcusable. I think really we have to draw a distinction between excusing and forgiving. I think that that really is the point Mm. that Lewis is trying to bring out. It's like... uh, the distinction between evil and sin, that they're related, but they're not the same. And Lewis is is making the point that in forgiving someone who is doing something that's evil, you are not condoning the evil. You're in effect, um, 
almost making a judgment about the person rather than the act you know that that this is someone who um something can be done about lewis is very very clear he makes this point particularly in his book the abolition of man which of course was written during the second world war that one of his concerns is that the culture of his day made it difficult to use the word evil now actually you know either you're, you're good or you're less good or you're you're better but the word evil was seen as problematic and lewis protested he said look we need to use this world because we see it around we need to name something as evil and that's the way of starting it but lewis is very very much aware that behind an evil action is a person and lewis is trying to help us think about how that person can be forgiven and renewed and transformed i think that's actually a very important point because there are several points when i read mere christianity that i think lewis is referring back to himself to his own history and in effect is feeling that um you know my own history just shows how important these things are that god forgave me and i was able to move ahead and there's certainly not an understanding that it's easy, is there? There's there's very much a recognition that actually this is difficult. Lewis is a very good um, critic of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer very famously called cheap grace. You know, I'll forgive that. It doesn't matter. It's easy to do. Well, Lewis saying, no, no, this is hard. This is not something that comes easy to us because we feel deeply offended, deeply upset by what we see. And yet we know that there's a bigger picture here and we've got to in effect do what's right and it's a very good example of what being right might not be what our culture thinks is right and it's all about lewis having this deeper vision of what god is like what human nature is all about what our ultimate destiny is and so he's inviting us to see our ourselves having a role in trying to help others catch a vision of what christianity is all about now, Lewis describes pride as the great sin. Why is this such a big sin in his eyes? And I suppose more importantly, how do we overcome it? My impression is that Lewis focuses on pride because it was such a problem for him. In other words, he knew it was a problem. In the 1940s, Lewis began to become very successful as a writer and I think Lewis struggled to cope with fame. I think he, in effect, felt temptations to pride. And that's one of the reasons why Lewis seems to have taken on a spiritual director around this time. It seems to have been to help him cope with fame and stop himself becoming proud, which would have been self-destructive. So my feeling is that one of the reasons that Lewis zeroes in on pride as so deeply problematic is it actually was a problem for him, which he was able to deal with. And he dealt with it by having somebody who could, in effect, address it, engage it, and helping him to recognize this really was a problem and move on. But, you know, all of us, I think, know people who have been destroyed by pride. And Lewis realized this could happen to him. And so, if you like, he took steps to try and engage this. So I personally think Lewis really engages this particular sin because he, he felt its power himself at a very important moment in his life. And why does he say that it's so destructive? Well, because, well, I've seen various accounts of this, but for me, 
pride is so self-destructive because in effect it makes things self-referential i am the person in whom i trust i am the one who's able to do things and if you like it involves defocusing on god it says i did these things i am the guy who did these things i am the agent here Whereas, of course, a key theme throughout mere Christianity is, no, 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 it's Christ within you who enables you to do these things. And if you like, it's about um, gaslighting God. It's about, um, you know, um, pretending he's not there. It's about, um, if you like, um, obliterating him from your understanding of who you are. I think one of the things, one of the reasons why Lewis actually thinks failure might be quite helpful is it allows you to refocus on God as the one who's able to put you back on your feet. So I think there's a real issue there, which Lewis knew. And also, I think Lewis felt his audience would be able to connect with this because I often feel Lewis is reluctant to talk about certain things because he feels it might be sensitive. Whereas with pride, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's something we all know. It's something that some of us feel actually is a good thing. And Lewis is saying, no, it's not. This can go very seriously wrong. And so what is the solution to pride? If, if someone was sat here in front of C.S. Lewis saying, I'm really struggling with this, what would he say by way of advice? I think he would tell his own story. I think he would tell of how he achieved fame and it very nearly went to his head and it would have made him a different person. It would have made him an arrogant person and I think it would have, meant, in effect, caused damage to his faith because, in effect he would have um, forgotten about God. And I, I think Lewis would simply say that sometimes God speaks to us through things that happen to us. And maybe those moments of failure may be awkward for us, but there are times when we can reconnect with God. Now, that, that's actually a really interesting theme to follow through in Lewis's life because there are points at which Lewis felt absolutely a failure i mean if you read a grief observed you know he he really is at rock bottom and then he catches a vision of christ and begins to rebuild and so lewis you know kind of has been in some very dark places himself and i think that uh, that actually not it's not just what he says it's actually his own life which i think helps us to put all these pieces together Lewis spends two of the chapters in this book talking about faith. Now, atheist Richard Dawkins has often accused Christians of having blind faith. Is that the way that C.S. Lewis um, envisages faith? Or uh, how does he see faith? What's his opinion of faith? Well, Richard Dawkins isn't really a very reliable guide either to C.S. Lewis or to the Christian <laughs> faith. I have to say that. Um, <laughs> faith for Christians, for C.S. Lewis, is not a blind faith. It, in effect, is a leap going beyond the evidence, but it's an informed leap. It's one that is, in effect, recognizing that the best way of making sense of things is to believe in a God and then to realize that this God is available and is waiting to embrace us and enfold us. So it's not blind. It's informed. I think one of the things I'd want to say to Richard Dawkins, if he's listening to this, which I think is very unlikely, but uh, let's just say anyway, that um, <laughs> one of the things... Lewis knew, and I knew as an atheist, is that actually if you're an atheist, you cannot prove you are right. In effect, you know, atheism in the end is a belief that there is no God, but you cannot prove that's right. And of course, that means it's a kind of faith. 
And I think it's very important for Christians to realize that they are not the only ones who have faith. They are not the only ones who may have moments of doubt. I mean, I have friends who are atheists who very often doubt because they know they can't prove they're right. And they often are very drawn to Christianity because they feel it's more interesting than atheism. So we need to be aware of that. I think Richard Dawkins, in fact, uses such strident language simply because he knows his case here is so vulnerable and so weak. And there's a bit in Mere Christianity, isn't there, where C.S. Lewis sort of lumps together faith and reason and reason-informed faith against emotions. And perhaps what he's trying to say is that actually once you've got that reason-informed faith, when those emotions and the objections rebut it, it's faith that keeps you going. I think that's right. I think one of the things that Lewis is very concerned about, and you can see this in Mere Christianity, but actually it becomes even clearer in... um, in Surprised by Joy, is that he he is very, very clear. I did not want to be a Christian. I did not want there to be a God. I realized there was a God. I had to respond accordingly. And the point he's trying to get at here is that it's not some kind of Freudian wish fulfillment. Um, I, I want there to be a God, so I invent God. And actually, one of the things I'd say about Richard Dawkins is he doesn't want there to be a God. Sometimes I think he invents atheism as a wish fulfillment because he can't prove it's right. That's a very important point. There are many people who are atheists because they do not want there to be a God. So I think that's important. And what Lewis is saying is once you have faith, then you begin to see emotions, feelings, and desire in a different way. And of course, desire is a very important theme for Lewis, not, I think, touched on quite as much as I would like in um, uh, mere Christianity, but elsewhere, it really is a very significant theme. Lewis is saying Christianity is all about finding the heart's desire, which we find in Christ and in God. We've sadly got to the end of this episode about how we live as Christians. But if we want to find out a little bit more about that, about what Lewis thought of Christian behaviour and how we should live as Christians, where can we go? There are lots of places and maybe a good starting point would be the four loves, because there Lewis is trying to reflect on how we can actually show love in our lives and how this fits into a bigger picture christian of things and actually at several points it's very practical so that's a very good point to go to next thank you so much alistair thank you thank you for listening to the c.s lewis podcast with professor alistair mcgrath brought to you by premier I'm Ruth Jackson, and over this second series, Alistair and I will be looking at some of the key themes and ideas in Lewis's seminal book, Mere Christianity. You can find out more about this series, as well as C.S. Lewis and Professor Alistair McGrath, by heading to cslewispodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. Next week, we will be looking at what Lewis says about the Trinity in mere Christianity.